0: Hi, right, welcome back to the CCWSA podcast. I'm Rob High, uh, joined again by Phil Naiman. And we have a special guest. You guys have met him before, Gary Eastridge, who is our uh, critical response coordinator for the department. And uh, today we were going to touch on some stuff. We've, we've addressed this on multiple different times. Um, we've had the very best in the industry answering questions and It still seems to leave some people a little short. Um, And it's basically concerning if I'm involved in a critical incident, do I talk to police? Do I have to give them any information? What would I say? What would you say? Uh, And Gary and I have both been in positions to be the responding investigators and things like this and uh, fully appreciate and respect anybody that steps forward and, and wants to wait until their attorney is present to answer questions. Um, There's just several things that are kind of in that gray area that I can talk to those people. Um, I can, I can meet with a patrolman or an investigator. Um, There's nothing wrong with me giving my personal information. You know, they need to know that biographical information. This is my name, it's my date of birth, this is where I live, my contact info, things like that. Um, but Gary is our uh, coordinator for our critical response team. And in the event that you were involved in an incident where uh, you had to defend yourself, your family, um, and there was great bodily injury or death involved, we are, Coming out to to be with you, we're going to help you through that process.
1: Uh, the, um, can I ask a quick question here? Certainly. For those of us in uh, the People's Republic of Occupied California, we don't we don't get everything all the time, so we're can, we're kind of slow. That's why we still have that guy for governor. But um, you said a critical incident, and that involves bodily death. Um, isn't what is the actual definition of critical injury? I mean, isn't it anytime you've had to use some kind of force or or uh, even a brandishing issue. I mean, isn't that when you guys want to be called uh, almost immediately on several different levels of things, not just if the firearm's gone off, right?
2: For the, when, Phil, when you talk about a critical incident, we we view a critical incident as one where somebody, e- either a member, member's family, or anybody in the incident has received a significant injury or death. Uh, that uh, will prompt an in-person response from us. The the more minor type incidents where you've brandished your firearm or uh, maybe you've even discharged your firearm, but no one has been hit, uh, that will not uh, prompt an in-person response by our critical response team. Uh, Not to be confused with what the law recognizes as, uh, you know, the the things that are required before using lethal force, which is that threat of great bodily injury or death.
1: Sorry, go go ahead, Rob.
0: Um, it it's just one of those one of those deals that um we we always encourage our members um. That as, as soon as something happens, um, uh, just for instance, I'm, I'm at home with my family, we have an intruder, and I believe that that intent is to come in and, and, and injure somebody, to harm somebody. Um, and depending on where you live, you know, just the simple fact that they enter your home uh, can be enough to, to mount a defense. Um, But the the big deal there is as soon as something like that occurs, uh, especially if I've discharged a firearm and shot somebody, um, if I don't have an active threat ongoing, I immediately want to check on the rest of my family, make sure everybody's safe, make sure that I'm safe. Um, But the biggest deal for me is I want to be the guy to call 911. I don't want somebody next door calling and saying, Hey, I heard shots fired at my neighbor's house or something like that. I want to be the the guy to report, but I also want to start, uh, emergency services and get first aid and things like that. Um, just in case, I mean, I may have somebody at the house hurt. I may be injured. Um, it may be, uh, a a non-lethal shot that I fired. Uh, but I want to get I want to get those, those medical services started as soon as I get the police on the way as well.
2: <clears throat> and, and, and to follow up on that a little further, Phil, uh, in our experience in law enforcement, the first person that calls 911 is viewed as the victim until the evidence shows otherwise. And one of the issues we have had with members is they, they perceive a threat that warrants them to draw their firearm, that threat dissipates, but that person goes and calls 911. The member thinks, well, all is good, so they don't call 911. So now it's the the attacker could be viewed as the victim since they're calling 911 to report, and our member is now viewed as a suspect until there is some evidence that would uh, lead the investigators to believe otherwise. So it's important that you establish early on that you are a victim.
0: Well, and, and I would also fill in there, Gary, that uh, a 911 call, 911 call is something that me as an investigator, that's one of the first things I look at. I wanna, I wanna hear the tone of what's going on. I wanna hear what's said um because that story can change um and that's why i want to keep that information to an absolute minimum um and that can be uh this happened in my home or whatever the incident is rob give us give us an example
1: uh, of a situation
0: okay boom this happens you grab your phone
1: go and 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 911 911, 911. what's your emergency
0: absolutely um my name's Rob. Hi, I live at this address. Um, we had an intruder into our home. I, I was fearing for my life. I, uh, I utilized my, my gun. I defended my home. Uh, the guy shot. I need emergency medical services. Um, is I anyone? Is anyone hit? Uh, yeah, I, I was a victim. I was only defending myself. I didn't or Have, have you victim. been hit? Certainly. Uh, that's, that's always going to be something that, that I want to make sure that everybody has done is if there is any possibility of injury and, and you have to understand what, what an amazing machine our bodies are, the things that we can withstand and don't even realize it with this huge surge of adrenaline and, and all that stuff going on. So if there's any possibility that you have any kind of injury or anything like that, we want to get you to uh, a hospital and get you checked out. Um, if there's injuries and things, we want those properly documented. So I was trying to say, like,
1: if I was a 911 operator, these are the questions I would be asking you, right? Yeah. Have you been hit? Has the other person hit? How many people? What are they wearing? And and one of the things that a 911 operator wants to do is to keep you talking, right? Absolutely.
0: They want to keep you on the line, and but you need to understand that is part of that case file as soon as it starts once that goes to an investigator that that becomes part of my evidence um so if i'm the one that's involved in that incident um i'm going to keep it i'm going to keep it brief i'm going to check on my family and and say you know we'll be standing by for the officers as they get here um the front door is unlocked or whatever so
1: you're not going to be running down the street with your pistol in your hand saying hey over here hey over here right Probably no, not no, well. at all.
0: Um, you know, I, I worked a, a case where uh, the gentleman was defending himself. It was in a driveway. Um, and I thought he handled it as well as he possibly could. Um, he fired one round, dropped a suspect. He secured his firearm in his vehicle, locked it, had his uh, daughter call 911. She gave the information, said we need police and an ambulance here. And by the time the officer showed up, the man who was involved as a physician and he was already rendering aid to the suspect, um, that's what the officers saw when they arrived. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a case by case thing. I mean, it, do I have the ability to safely do that kind of thing? Um, but he did in this case uh, and he, as soon as the officers got there, he, he let them know I was attacked. I had to defend myself. I've secured my firearm in my vehicle. Can you tell me if that ambulance is on the way? Cause he's providing medical attention. It, it was a really, really well done case by this guy. So.
2: And conversely we, you know, we just had that recent case within the last few weeks where, uh, a young man defended a police officer who was being attacked, the, the police officer ended up dying. Uh, when other responding officers showed up, the Good Samaritan still had the suspect's long gun in his hand and, and, and responding officers perceived a lethal threat and and unfortunately, the young man lost his life uh i mean it's just a worst case scenario for me personally to be viewed so like phil was talking about you don't want to be running down the street with with a gun in your hand you don't want to have a gun in your hand
1: sometimes um, you don't even realize it
2: yeah well, exactly.
1: <laughs> you know you've got that adrenaline dump right and you guys have seen all these cases you know you're fighting for your life and i've you know, when I was younger, those things happened, and uh, you got such a dump of adrenaline. You don't even really number one, you got blabbermouth disease, and number two, you don't even know really your fine-tuned motor skills are gone. You know, if you had a pistol, you don't even realize it's still in your hand, right? Yeah, correct. Can be,
2: but that's that. If if you're going to make the decision to carry a firearm to protect yourself. This this is one of the reasons it's important to uh, seek out training, to to uh, do a little bit of stress inoculation to where you're used to a stressful situations, because the uh, the aftermath can be very tragic as we saw in that case. Uh, when you're Rob and I have responded to a lot of hot calls, I spent eleven years in the patrol division before I went into uh, investigations. When you're rolling up on that call, you don't know who's good guys. You don't know who's bad guys. Uh, and when somebody's running around with a gun in their hand, they're perceived as a threat. You
1: know, and then there's also the, uh, generally, there's the... Go ahead. I
2: was just going to say, generally, the dispatchers will give them a warning. Hey, make sure you've put up your gun. But that's uh, there's no guarantee that that will happen.
1: You know, we all saw a case last year um, in, in Wisconsin, I believe it was, where a young man was involved in an incident, and he actually approached the police officers with a, a carbine slung around his neck, hands up, walked to him, and they just drove by him. I mean, <laughs> I just can't... <laughs> <laughs> well, how crazy is that night when is that hey you you with the ar-15 is trying to surrender we don't have time for that we got other stuff to do i mean
2: <laughs> and we've all seen unique situations uh, rob and i can tell you about when we responded to the bombing site here in oklahoma city it was utter chaos yeah we didn't know if we had a natural disaster a a, a uh, maybe a um some kind of accident with a gas pipeline? Or if we had a terrorist attack, is this an ongoing attack? So the the situation, the environment, is going to dictate a lot of times your response.
0: Um, Some some of the other stuff uh, as far as preparing for the officer's arrival. You know, we have made the phone call. We've requested medical. you know, we've we've touched on that fact that let's don't have a gun in our hands if we don't have to. When law enforcement rolls up, now if there's multiple violators, multiple suspects, and and I have to maintain a position of cover, uh, or you know, in a, you know, taking a hard corner in my house or anything like that, um, it's something I'm going to let nine one one know. Um, I think there's somebody else there. I, I haven't seen them. This is what we've got. Uh, but once okay, like, like the
1: scenario, I was thinking about this, the doctor. Yes. Now, obviously he, I'm sure he made sure that there wasn't anybody else before he locks his firearm in his car. Right. And turns he, his back he, to take aid.
0: He knew the, the people involved um, and he knew that's all that was there. He, okay. he, had that he had that knowledge. Um, it was a known person. Um, Kind of a domestic-related, uh, distant kind of domestic-related kind of incident. Um, but once once law enforcement is there, I want to I want to make absolutely certain because, like Gary's talking, you're rolling in on a on a call like that. That's a hot call. That's something that that you are you you've got your radar up on your arrival. Um, you know, you're talking about the case in Wisconsin, and they drive right by a kid with a slung rifle. I've seen things, Gary's seen things where guys were just oblivious and didn't even see it. And that may be the case in, in that case. Uh, they may have just drove by and not even realized what he had. Um, but it's a really big deal to me that if if I'm the guy there and I'm waiting on the responding officers, as soon as they're present, you know, my hands come up. I want them to see my palms. I want them to know that that I'm not holding anything because they know they're coming into a situation involving a firearm. And I'm telling you, their antenna are up and they're looking all over the place looking for a possible threat because they don't know for a fact that it's done until they've arrived and been able to assess that for themselves.
2: Let me touch on something real quick too. It's kind of off topic, but Rob mentioned hard corner. We, we've used that in several uh, 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 articles that we've shared. All a hard corner is is a position of tactical su- superiority where you can be out of sight from any intruder. It can be a, 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 a corner of a room to where you can't be seen from a window, from a hallway, from a doorway that gives you some cover and or concealment I I just thought I'd throw that in there in in advance of all the emails I'm sure we'll get wanting an explanation of hard corner when I first heard it I had to google search it and and figure out what it was that they were referring to um
0: another another piece of that is uh once those officers have arrived you know don't don't be surprised if you get put in handcuffs. Don't be surprised if they tell you to lay down on your face, spread your arms, spread, you know, spread your feet, do this, do that. Just comply, follow their directions. Um, I wanna put them at ease as soon as I possibly can because I promise they're, they're arriving a little amped up too. Um, and then once, once those things are going on, it, there's nothing wrong with, with saying, listen, I'm, I'm a victim. Um, I've already contacted my attorney. He's on the way, but he's advised me not to make a statement until he's here. Um, and exercise that right. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I pr- I, you know, promise. I think, but, I
1: think when, when we come back from, from the break here, I think it's important that, you know, just like we're doing a little bit of a mock 911 call you know, hey, here's the situation and just literally, you know, maybe Gary, you can be the bad guy or not a bad guy, you can be a police officer, the, the detective taking evidence uh, that you feel like you may or may not have used against you. And, and Rob, you're the, uh, you're the victim in this case. So why don't we, uh, we'll cut to a break on this. And when we come back, we'll do some play acting. And you guys have your roles, you got your hats on and we'll all be good with that. All right, folks, ccwsafe.com. We'll be right back after this. And go. <laughs> you want me to bring it in or uh, you could?
0: i get it. Welcome back. We're still here with the CCW Safe podcast. Uh, it's Rob Hyde, Phil Naiman, and Gary Eastridge. Um, we've been discussing today uh, whether you should or should not speak with law enforcement. If you're involved in a, in a shooting incident, a critical incident that's resulted in a significant injury or death, um we obviously have the experience to look at this from all sides having, having been investigators on these cases as well. Um, we just finished with talking about uh, I'd let a responding officer know that that I want to cooperate fully, um, but I, I've contacted my attorney and he's advised me not to speak, and I'm going to heed that advice until he's present. Um, and not to worry about making a an investigator angry or a a patrolman angry or something like that it's not a personal thing Um, it's my rights as a citizen Um, but I have to understand that it could result in in my being handcuffed or put in the back seat of a patrol car but that's not a, a punitive thing I mean if an officer is involved well, it,
1: in that look that is that is a punitive thing okay cuz those of us who are ccw carriers you know you look at the charts of how many crimes do ccw carriers commit versus even police officers and they're even lower than that so these are not people who are used to riding in the back seat of a police car they may have been on ride-alongs in the front seat but they've certainly never seen the back seat of a police car so that is a traumatic effect um just a personal feeling of, of I didn't do anything wrong or betrayal or something like that. I mean, it could be a traumatic effect for somebody who has always been on the right side of the law. And in this situation responded correctly, defended their life. They've got an adrenaline dump and now they're seeing the police officers crushing them as a, as a criminal, something they despise and putting them in the backseat of the car. I think that is a, a real mental uh, doggy downer, if you will, on that. And that could just crush somebody emotionally as they're getting in there.
2: Well, I I think what Rob's referring to is what the officer is doing is not being done with the intent to penalize or criminalize your behavior. It's a it's a procedure of gaining control until you can get the information. You mentioned concealed carriers. What if both are concealed carriers? One may be a good guy just because he's a concealed carrier, and one may be a bad guy be, and still be a concealed carrier. So those responding officers are I'm responding. only on the good guy's
1: side, well, not on and, the bad and, guy's and side.
2: Everybody <laughs> you know, generally feels that they are in the right. But what Rob is saying is this is being done as a... Procedure In an effort to gain control of a very uh, active and possibly threatening situation, not as a determination. You may well feel like they're treating right. me like a criminal, but you have to be patient enough to understand that once there's some semblance of order established, things will, will change. And then that's also, it's just like Rob was mentioning what to say. There are some, I've heard some instructors tell their, their students, you tell the cops, I'm not saying anything until my attorney's here.
1: Yeah, that's well, going to get you in the backseat of a car with, with, with I'm malice.
2: There. I'm sorry, I talked over you.
1: Now I talked over you first I said that's going to get you in the back seat of the car with malice.
2: Exactly. you want you want to set the stage that I am a law-abiding citizen and I am I was put into this position. So the way Rob couched that is, I am either I've already called my attorney. Well, let's
1: let's let's do that right now. okay? so Gary, you're the police officer. You just rolled up on the scene. I'll set the stage here. There's been a firearm discharge. There's a a bad guy who is um, T-U-B-B in the uh, in the front yard of of a home. There's broken glass on the on the side of the house. And uh, Rob High is is at the doorstep. Uh, with his pistol in his hand and uh, wearing his pair of boxers and his uh, t-shirt because it's two o'clock in the morning and um, you're the police officer rolling up on this case so let's go Uh,
2: and as a as a first responder what i the way i'm going to probably approach it is i don't know who's good who's bad i'm gonna say tell me what happened what what happened here tonight
0: and it simple enough um, i was a victim I had to defend myself. I was in fear for my life. I was in fear for my family's life. Um, I I used my firearm um, and I didn't have any other choice. Now I've already contacted my attorney. I'm really, really shaken up right now. I've been involved in a very traumatic event and I want to cooperate with you fully, but I want to make certain that I'm, I'm saying the things I need to say without getting myself in trouble. My, my attorney has already been contacted. He's advised me not to make a statement until he's present. And I choose to, to do that. I'm going to wait until my ter- attorney is here, but I want to fully cooperate when I can.
2: And at that point, me as a, uh, as a first responder, and when I say first responder, I'm di- differentiating between the first responder and an investigative team that may respond in 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour later, uh, I'm probably gonna tell Rob, okay, have a seat in the back of my patrol car. The detectives will be here in a minute. I'll let them know what you've told me. Uh, and then from there, it's probably gonna determine whether you are, uh, you know, what the evidence says. If, if I verify that's Rob's address, and he's sitting there in boxer shorts, and there's a guy with a mask and rubber gloves on, I'm probably not gonna arrest Rob. I'm gonna say, okay, uh, as an investigator, I'm gonna say, have your attorney call me. We need to sit down the sooner the better. Uh, here's my card, have them call me. If the Help. evidence is not quite that compelling, I may say, well, Rob, uh, I'm going to have to take you to jail until we can get this situation sorted out. If there's probable cause for me to believe that Rob has committed a crime, which just means a little bit more probable than not, I I, I may take Rob into custody.
1: Now, Rob, so you're sitting in the back of this police car, your neighbors are out, you know, first you were just sitting in there, but then Gary comes back and says, you know, I, I'm going to need to take you into the station and uh, and let these guys settle this out because I'm not sure what's going on here. He's probably going to handcuff you at that point, right, as you're riding into the station in the backseat of this car.
0: They now, must-
1: you've told him that you don't want you want to wait for your attorney. But now, all of a sudden, you're handcuffed in the back of this car. Um, how many times in your polit- in your professional police thing. Once somebody had handcuffs on, even though they said they wanted an attorney, did they just start talking anyway? Because if if you're not asking them questions and they just start volunteering stuff, they can't go back and say, oh, but I said I didn't want to talk to my attorney, right? So explain that if you would.
2: Absolutely. A voluntary statement at that point.
0: Yeah, it it is voluntary. Um, You haven't asked the leading questions. You've not tried to develop that information yourself. And I just, I, it, I always referred to it in a report as an excited utterance. You know, the suspect sitting in the back seat, he's, he's already advised me that he wants to have his attorney present before he answers questions. And then he began making an excited utterance. And these were the things I heard. Um, and those are 100% admissible in court.
2: Whether Miranda rights have been read or not, because you're volunteering that, not as a result of our uh, of an investigator's questioning.
1: Right. Exactly. So I want people to understand that. Just because you said you want your attorney, you can still shoot yourself in the foot because you're trying to explain your way out of a, a night in jail, uh, which, you know, and and it's just that, if a police officer is involved in a use of deadly force, my understanding, at least in some departments, maybe it's nationally, that there's like a 48-hour window before they can be um, internal affairs or whoever's going to do the investigation can go in and and ask them these questions. Now, me as Joe Citizen, if I'm u- involved in a, in a line of... You can ask me immediately. I've still... I mean, I remember you know, being involved in situations before you got so much adrenaline coming out, your little, your body literally starts shaking and, and um, you know, (laughs) all kinds of emotions happen. And this is not the time to be thinking about what exactly happened. You know, you say the guy in a blue shirt ends up being a red shirt. Who, Who knows? It's just things that, that you say, because you're at a physical. An emotional disadvantage can come back and be used in a case against you. And that's why what Rob and, and Gary are saying here, folks, is you know, l- less is more. The the least amount you say, you identify yourself, give them your your ID, and just say, look, I'm I'm a mess. Let me, I want to cooperate. But I physically can't right now. I, you know, look, I just wet myself, and you know, it's a, that's a good dramatic affair.
0: You say they that. won't put
1: you in their in their back of their police car after that.
0: <laughs> you, you say that um, there are there are so many different reactions that we've seen, um, even with officer involved shootings. Um, Absolutely, you come up and and emotionally, it just runs the entire gambit. Um, you can come up and a guy is just broke down sobbing. Right. Um, never never really dreamed he would be in that position. Or you could have a guy over in a corner throwing up. That's a natural response. Taking a person's life is not a normal thing. Right. Um, and you have no earthy idea how you're going to respond to it. And all the way on the other extreme is I could be involved in a shooting and all of a sudden my district partner is Gary and he rolls up and and he asked me, you know, are you okay?" And I'm, I'm like celebrating um, because I just survived a lethal event. I, I, just survived, and I am excited and happy. Um, every one of those emotions is, it, you know, it just runs from one extreme to the other, and they're all proper. So I have to understand how to, how to manage that and how to maintain that
1: as an investigator.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, As an officer involved in that shooting, I have to learn how to manage that.
1: Now, you said Um, when we we were talking about the show coming up here, you you said that there's one reaction that always puts you on your heels when you roll
0: Yeah, Yeah, you give me some kind of of robotic, rehearsed, scripted. um, I'm telling you, automatically right now, my radar is going off and I'm, I'm starting to dig. Um, I want to know what the relationship was between you and this person and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we talked about other things that you can say that might be important. Um, Gary can tell you, um, once I lose a scene, once the scene is broke down and gone, I can't go back and fix it. I can't go back and recreate it. It's the same way with with evidence. It's the same way with witnesses. So if Gary and I are involved in a shooting and something happens uh, and the responding officers come over and I know that you were over across the street and you watched the whole thing, I'm pointing you out. You know, hey, that guy over there, he was here the whole time. He saw what happened. You need to talk to him. You need to find out who he is. Um, in, law enforcement, know-
2: we re- in law enforcement, we refer that to that as a public safety statement. Even though I'm not going to go into details, I'm going to point out potential evidence that shows what I'm telling the officers is truthful. He he threw the gun that way. He threw the knife. I saw it. I saw shell casings go over here. Uh, There was two or three people standing on that corner. One of them was a female wearing whatever. You know, give the thing, give things that the officers can then use to verify your story
1: you know one of the things i did some ride alongs in the uh, wonderful city of san bernardino and the one one of the, my biggest takeaway is that all night long officers are lied to to their face up and down everybody talking to them is lying to them you guys heads are shaking I, that was a shocker to me because i don't deal in the world of liars but well we all do but i mean it just every single day it just blew me away and so you know, you could be telling the officer, look, I'm telling you the truth. And he's heard that 67 times that night, you know, and 66 of them were lies. So, um, it's, it's important that you do point out the facts. This is, a, this happened here. This happened there. You know, we got a little over a minute left, uh, uh Rob or Gary, you guys want to wrap this up for us? Uh,
0: I'd, I'd like to point one, one thing really quick. Um, if, if you are involved in something like this, um, shut down your social media stuff, lock that stuff down. Um, don't make stupid posts about it. Don't, don't try to be John Wayne about it. Just stay away from that crap. Um, shut it off, shut it down. Um, don't discuss details with anybody get with your attorney and ask him who should I, if I need to talk to somebody, who should I, who should I talk to? And it may just be your attorney. You know, you have that privileged, uh, Communications with the attorney.
1: Yeah, Yeah, for for five hundred bucks an hour. Gary, how about you?
0: Well,
2: I I would just follow up on that. I want to. uh, I want to come across to that officer that I am the victim. I fully intend to cooperate. I just want to protect my own rights by having an attorney there.